my theme song and this is the show your money and your mindset and I am your host Dr. Lo Waitan and today it's going to be a very interesting show so what is the show about first before we start up it's about how your thinking or your beliefs and paradigms affect the way you relate to the world and consequently the results you get in the world which includes your relationships which includes the amount of money you have in the bank which includes your sense of being fulfilled spiritually even so when I say your money and your mindset it's not just about the cash it's about every aspect of your life you know use the term wealth rather than just money so I go around looking for people who've uh, got their act together or who've twigged or the pennies dropped for them as to how to uh, run their lives or live their lives in a way that they get a hundred percent out of it in every sense of the word and today my guest is actually quite an amazing person um, his name is Nick Halleck I'll just tell you a bit about him before we get him on the line he is the founder and the CEO of Financial Freedom Institute and Money Masters Global he's an entrepreneur a global wealth strategist, we'll ask him what that's all about, a speaker and the author of this new book which is quite remarkable. It's called The Trillionaire, not million, not billion, but Trillionaire. Make your life an epic, extraordinary adventure. And this is Mr. Adventure himself we're going to be speaking to. So just to give you an idea of what he does or has done, Nick likes to push life to the limit. Um, he's the first person I've ever interviewed who has dived five miles below the sea, below sea level, and got his submersible to sit right on the bow of the Titanic. Yes, that bi that big boat that went down. Okay, he's climbed some pretty tall mountains. He's actually spent a night alone in the king's tomb in Egypt. And next year, Nick will become the first Australian civilian cosmonaut to launch into space. And we'll talk about how, uh, how much time, effort and money was required to train as a cosmonaut in Russia. And that's a pretty full life for a boy who's only about, who looks 18, but we know he isn't. So I'd like to welcome Nick on the line. Hey, how are you going? Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> so how do you think that intro went, hey? Well... Very grand uh, introductory, and thank you very much. Very kind of you. Okay, no worries. Thanks for, for spending the time to, to talk to us, because uh, as you know, we, we were going to do this show some time ago, but um, Hurricane Irene... We had a hurricane. Yeah, yes. ...decided not to. Okay, so this is Nick Halleck now, who's like uh, the man who's just about done it all. But I'd like to take us back to Nick Halleck, the boy, um, who had this grand dream. Can you just fill us in on, on how, how you... Um, well, yeah, well. exactly. The first 10 years of my life, I was medically confined to my bedroom, I guess, I, I chronic allergies, um, debilitating asthma, what have you, and um, and I was really pretty much um, uh, bedroom tutored, should I say, and I pretty much educated myself um, with the Encyclopedia Britannica and what have you. So I guess for the first 10 years of my life, I had to work out and define a strategy that I was able in regards to uh, escaping the boundaries and the confines of my bedroom walls, I guess. And at age eight, I wrote down my top ten goals, my top ten hit list. So, in effect, I actually drafted the screenplay of my life. And uh, that became basically my top ten goals in regards to my pursuits, my journeys, my quest in regards to life. And uh, 32 years later, 
those goals have consumed my life. And um, on the top 10 list, I write down as an eight-year-old, um, eight down, and I've got two to go. Now, that, for, for an eight-year-old, most eight-year-olds would be probably trying to, you know, play with their Tonka toys or having fights <clears throat> with their brothers and sisters. But you, you, you sound like a 40-year-old, eight-year-old to have that sort of idea <laughs> that, you know, eight, I'm going to do this and I'm going to spend <clears throat> the rest of my life and I have been, what's the word, very focused? Would, would you say that? You're very focused in the way you've gone about um, getting your ducks lined up in a row to achieve, you've ticked off eight of the ten, yeah? Well, the thing is, I had nothing to lose and um, as far as the, uh, the medical world, the medical fraternity was concerned, they basically um, told me that I, that I would never ever lead a or lead or live a normal life. So for me, I had absolutely nothing to lose, and um, I had to do it for myself. I mean, I had to prove it to myself, and um, you know, just I, I, you know, I put that challenge out there. You know, I walked that gauntlet of um, you know being told what I can't do. But um, I think at the same time, by default, having been told by the medical world and the pharmaceutical industry that I'll never lead a normal life, and that I'll always be reliant on um, pharmaceutical drugs, I think at the same time too. That really provided the uh, catalyst for me to um, to do something radical, to change my thinking, to you know, to alter my mindset, and actually create a living and manifest it um, with what I had given. I guess. Okay, so you're saying basically, I'm curious. You're saying that nobody told you, look, you know, kid, you're 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 kind of in a bubble at the moment. You're eight years old. Life is going to be pretty mm, restricted. Uh, why don't you create an alternative life for yourself? Did you come to that conclusion yourself? Uh, did you not have your siblings or your parents to say, look, Nick, it's not that bad. You can actually do something else with your life. Well, unfortunately, uh, my, my parents' um, opinion and influence was um, heavily dictated to by um, the pharmaceutical world, I guess. And, you know, as parents, you know, being overly concerned and um, almost too cradling, I guess, you know. But um, I knew there was an outside world out there. And um, I think what really inspired me was like, you know, 3.30 every weekday, glancing outside my bedroom walls and watching kids walk home from school, you know, being all fairly active with sports and what have you. So for me, that was my, my real catalyst in regards to, um, I guess, defining a strategy, how to rejoin them, I guess, you know, how to basically plot my life. And... Um, I, I wanted to live life on my terms and actually physically draft my agenda as opposed to uh, having been scripted an agenda and simply acting act, act it out for somebody else. So I just knew that um, in order for me to do things on my terms, I had to like re-alter the, um, the screenplay and obviously live life on my terms at all times. So in your head, you really had that, those things happening. So it's like creative visualization, but... Uh, an eight-year-old's version, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, with kids too. I mean, our goals, our aspirations and ambitions, we're far more bold when we're young. Why? Because we really don't have, we, we don't accept defeat and we, we truly believe we can do anything in the world. But as adults, we become very statement-orientated and we become a lot more disempowered because we allow the system and the and our friends to basically influence us. So for me... Um, the fact that I was a child, um, you know, I was fearless, you know, that um, like you're wearing a, a Kevlar vest, that false sense of invincibility, I guess. And for me, I just, at the end of the day, I just really wanted to create a life. And I've always been like that. I mean, with every obstacle, with every hurdle, with, with whatever medical challenges, I guess, 
you know, I've always looked at that as an opportunity for me to um to raise the ante and do something absolutely amazing because in life we get one chance at it. You know, we either blow it or we really exploit every imaginable opportunity. Yeah, you're, you're right there. And uh, something you touched on, the fact that, in a sense, you didn't go to school like so-called normal kids, I'll use inverted com commas, and you say, when we get to school, we get told or we get molded into it. You know, this is the way you, you ought to behave. This is the stuff that you should learn and so forth. Right, exactly, because the system is the one that basically conditions our thought patterns and what have you. And unfortunately, we, you know, we're conditioned by, our, by the schooling, by our biological parents, by our friends and associations. And unfortunately, by the time we become adults, we've our, our, I guess, our dexterity um, aspect in regards to interpreting life and our faculty on thinking has somewhat um, dissipated. And we just become a, a product of the system. And we become all statement, we lose our faculty on thinking, we just become a warehouse of facts. And we don't really, we, 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 we forget as to who we are, what, you know, what we really want to accomplish in our lives. And I'll and I say to anybody, there's two most important days in your life. The two most important days is the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. And when I was basically confined to my bedroom, I sort of discovered why I was born. And I, I knew that, you know, I, I had hurdles, but my strategy was to combat and define a strategy in regards to advancing to the next level. But I think my biggest secret was I really discovered my why and my purpose very, very early on in the piece. All right, so and, and that's, you know, that's the most powerful thing ever. Discover your why. Be definitive. Be, you know, know exactly what you want. And for me, I knew that the, that a world existed outside my bedroom walls. So I, I, I re, I guess, I, should I say, I re-sculptured my map of the world in regards to where I was going to be situated within it. Right, okay. So I was just going to go back to that school thing because um, along the way you, you've done a lot of things including play in some big bands, gone to, gone to Los Angeles to play live to how many thousand people? Well, you know, I performed in front of, you know, in, you know, in, in those days, you know, we performed up to, you know, 40,000 people in stadiums. That was the, uh, the rock star days when I left Australia when I was 17. With, um, I had $30,000 cash and um, I moved to Los, I relocated to Los Angeles. So it was an amazing time. Right. So with all that happening, um, you then found out how to develop your wealth. Can you just take us through that? Because I want to tie it back with the schooling system that in a way doesn't let us do that. So just, just give us your story on how you discovered, okay, this is the way I generate and I invest and I uh, grow my wealth. Well, I will say wealth um, actually happened by default by aspiring and having ambitions and dreams and goals and what have you, I then looked at working out a strategy which would allow me to fund my lifestyle, I guess. So at a very young age, I was very, very um, um, disciplined monetary-wise. Um, so I developed my financial literacy on my own. Um, I was a very, very good saver. And if I was to, you know, I would always look at ways of creating ideas um, and the way my, the, my business entrepreneurial activities basically started was I, I, I really took on the, um, the providing a solution to people's problems. And I really understood that even at a very young age. And um, I recall when I was very young, uh, at age 14, I opened up a music school. The reason being is because I, 
I had become fairly proficient um, playing guitar and what have you. And I had a lot of um, older um, friends who uh, would always ask me to teach them and to tutor them. And then I had adults, you know, like twice my age, ask me to teach them. And I figured, well, hold on, there, there's got to be something here because there's a lot of individuals who um, are seeking assistance. So I created a, um, a, the Knife and Oak Guitar Clinic, which is basically a guitar school. So I've always had an element of like providing a solution to people's problems. And, you know, a lot of that was just mindset too because understanding that, um, that there, were, there was a void in people's lives in regards to the how-to type information, what have you. So um, from a very early on, a very early young age, I developed that understanding of um, meeting the, the demand based on um, what people required. And I created a business model around that every time. So does that include also, like I know you, you've got a, uh, a system of investing in shares as, as well, which is basically not something that... Well, I get look at share. Stock market is one of it. I, I also have strategies in regards to the property market, you know. Uh, I also have strategies in regards to the online world of business. But, um, all you know, whatever, whatever business I've actually involved in and what I've actually created in the past, it, it all comes down to one thing. I value factor by adding value to people's lives, whether it's um, teaching them how to make money, how to generate money, or teaching them how to add value to their own lives. At all times, I am value factoring. That's a really, really important distinction. All right, value factoring then is something you actually, in a sense, with a young age, stumbled upon. But now coming back to this business of school, I, I know you, you, you're very passionate about this because you seem to think that um, the way we've been schooled what it does teach us is enough skills so that we can get a job and your term was to become a whole bunch of, a whole herd of taxpayers. Absolutely, definitely. And, you know, the, the, the schooling system, you know, and, and with all due respect to teachers, it's not the teachers, it's the, uh, the curriculum that teachers are, and the teachers are actually governed by. But the biggest problem is the, the schooling system is simply a, a factory assembly plant for the sole purpose of producing taxpayers. That's all it is. That's all it is. And so, in a sense, you, you didn't go to school, but your siblings went to school. So, are they taxpayers? I did, I did school, um, like, you know, after the, you know, like, you know, from like um, 10 onwards or what have you. But I was pretty much, pers I was, you know, I was, I was tutored at home. And a lot of my guidance and influence was the Encyclopedia Britannica. And that became probably the most important mentor in my life. Yeah, but but it doesn't teach you how to think separately. It it, it I see. Oh, it does Yeah, encyclopedias, I, facts. I, exactly, but I, I had no real guidance. So, in in actual fact, I pretty much had to develop my own type of thinking in regards to what I thought a conventional person would be thinking about. Right. Okay. So now I'll just talk, talk about your book. I'm going to hold it up now. It's called The Thrilling Air: Make Your Life an Epic, Extraordinary Adventure. I'm just going to show that. Um, to the people out there, there we go, the book. Now, Thrillionaire, tell me, does that word really exist or did you make it up? Uh, it doesn't exist, but I did make it up. <laughs> um, I, have a, I have a habit of creating words. Um, once again, this is my model of the world. So um, I create words, um, you know, like from value factoring. Well, value factoring is not in the dictionary, but I created the word, um, you know. And I say to people, like, so long as you're always a value factorer, that you value factor whatever, everything in your life. And a thrilling day is basically an individual who leads a thrilling life on their own terms, 
where they draft their own agenda, but they also utilize their thinking and their new vantage points and perspectives in regards to life to create and monetize their passion. And when you monetize your passion, you're being rewarded to generate an income doing what you love in regards to what puts a smile on your face. And that's what a thrillionaire is. Okay, it, it's a good read. I, I must say that I read it all in one night because it was that Excellent. interesting that, um, yeah, I thought, look, i got to see what's happening on the next page. So that, that is a culmination of uh, how many years of your life in that distilled into that book? Well, absolutely. I, mean, I, I take readers back to, um, you know, age eight when I was basically that young, sick child in my bedroom wall, uh, in my bedroom, I guess. And the crazy thing is, you know, as as I as I reflect back on that life, that was like that was over thirty two years ago, and what keeps me going still to this day is that promise I made to a young eight year old, and that eight year old still resides in me. All right, just if you don't mind sharing the, your your ten top goals, um, what are the just tick off the eight that you've done? Okay, well, the, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I wrote down, and I, I and I, and I share, um, you know with individuals around the world in regards to what I wrote down. But um, I will share with you exactly what I wrote down in my goals. And understand this, I was an eight-year-old when I wrote this down. Okay. So I wrote down to become a rock and roll star. Tick. To become a millionaire. Tick. To put the balls in Spain. Tick. Tick. To become a mountain climber and climb the highest mountains in the world. Tick. To go to the bottom of the ocean and have lunch on a Titanic. <laughs> Tick, done that. To travel and explore more than 100 countries. Well, I've done 127 now. Uh, to my different place around the world. Um, you know, I have homes, you know, in, in the Greek islands, Morocco, uh, you know, in, in a beautiful uh, tropical rainforest in Australia. And I also reside now in Los Angeles. Uh, to become an astronaut, tick. To go to the space station and, on a rocket and live there. These are my exact words. And number one, to walk on the moon. So I've got two to go on my original top ten list that I write down as a as an eight-year-old. All right. If, if that's the case, um, you know, I, it's foreseeable that the the uh, you're going to go on, on the space launch next year anyway. And uh, after that, to walk on the moon, what would you do? Well, walk on like a, probably that'll probably take about maybe twenty years, I imagine. But I have a contingency in the event of my expiry for whatever reason. If something was to happen to my life, uh, my crematorial remains will be rocketed to the lunar surface of the moon, which in effect would allow me to walk on the moon, I guess. So either way, I'm going to complete these top 10 list of goals. All right, that's a good escape clause. But let's say if you do achieve that, and it sounds like at the rate you're going, you probably would within that 20-year span, uh, would you find that there are no more challenges left? So how do you keep yourself juiced to do the next thing? Um, well, I, I make dissatisfaction work for me. That's probably the biggest secret I want to share today. If you make dissatisfaction work for you, you'll never be satisfied. Because if you're satisfied, you're complacent. If you're satisfied, you're comfortable being uncomfortable. So really understand this. Make dissatisfaction work for you at all times because you'll continually raise the bar and raise the ante every, every time. So, okay, now if, if that's the case, somebody might turn around and say, hey, you're forever chasing a dream. Aren't you happy where you are now? Why be happy? If I'm happy, I'm, you might as well be complacent. Why be complacent in life? 
Oh, no, no, not so much that. It's a, it's more a sense of uh, being happy where you are, when you are, whatever you're doing, in that moment. Yeah, look, I, I, I love where I am, what I'm doing, but there's so much more out there in life. I mean, I, you know, realistically, the way I look at life is this. I haven't, I haven't even scratched a scratch and a scratch yet. And there is so much out there yet to be explored. And um, that's how I am. I mean, it's, that's basically how I roll through life, I guess. You know, I love to immerse myself in different cultures, different languages, different countries, you know. Um, I love being in the orbit of individuals that are transmitting a high frequency of wisdom or what have you. I love to learn. I love wisdom. I love the inductive learning, you know. I, I love taking on new distinctions every day of my life. Okay, so now you talked about something um, that's interesting. You used the word vibration. So do you believe that, um, in a sense, you, know, you either gel with somebody or you don't, but it all depends on where you are internally, your own uh, thought patterns, your own belief patterns, your own paradigms? You know, you, you, I mean, every day in your life, you're going to be somebody. There are new distinctions, I guess, but you've got to be at the right time in your life in regards to accepting it and embracing it and being nurtured. Where a lot of individuals, they really haven't raised their level of awareness. So how can you embrace something when you haven't raised your level of awareness to it? And, um, you know, like if I'll share this information with me right now, in the right time of your life, the information we're, we're imparting today would be absolutely, uh, you know, impactful. But you've got to be at the right time in your life to fully accept what I'm saying. And a lot of it is really understanding where you are at right now. And a lot of individuals have no idea where they're at right now. And I find a lot of people that I speak to, uh, they're dreaming still. They're, they're not realistic. They really haven't taken a stock take of their life in regards to where they are and where they really want to be, I guess. But, um, you know, if you, if you don't have any goals, if you don't have any financial goals or any aspirations or whatever, chances are you're working towards somebody else's goals. Yeah, I, I believe I believe that. So here you see, to to raise your level of awareness, it's a bit like um, what Bob Proctor said. He said, if you if you don't know you're in prison, you don't know how to get out. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. So so to to get people to the level of awareness, it's a bit like a catch twenty two. You have to become, like you say, dissatisfied with your um, current living conditions. Let's say your standards. Right. Stop take, but also you know just really understand in regards in relation to life and where you originally thought you you will be is just an honest appraisal of who you are, what you've accomplished, and the caliber and principles that um, you've inherited thus far. And once you understand that, then you can start to bridge that gap and actually um, you know empower yourself. And that's probably the most important thing, learning how to empower yourself. So do you make that part of your mission in the sense that you, you want to raise awareness by the, the fact that you speak around the world? Absolutely. Yeah, I love to emotionally inspire and I love to financially inspire. Those two things I'm absolutely passionate about. And so can you tell us where you've spoken at in, in, in terms of uh, the, you know, you're sharing the stage with, with um, the luminaries in, in this particular field? Look, I've spoken with uh, a lot of um, giants in the industry of personal development of finances. I mean, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm gonna be, I'll be on stage with uh, Richard Branson. And, um, and a lot of people have actually compared me to Richard Branson in regards to the lifestyle that I lead, regarding the adventure and uh, my entrepreneurial activities. But for me, I just love to inspire. You know, whether it's five people or a thousand or if I'm speaking to like 50,000 people, I love 
to impart and impress upon you my information because it really is, you know, it's, it's, it's 40 years of data of like, you know, internalized thinking. And if you can walk away with one distinction, then my task is done. I just want to inspire you. So that's why the book Thrillionaire, you know, Make Your Life an Epic Extraordinary Adventure is really a, a story of trying to inspire people. Is that one of the Absolutely. things? That's the whole concept of it. Yeah, and did you... Inspiring. I understand this, right? In 40, 50, 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years, there will come a day when you're going to stop breathing and you'll be fertilizing daffodils. Your life will expire. But if you were given an extra five or ten years of life, what would you do differently? It's like kind of like, it's like being a fly on a wall and listening to the eulogy of your life. If somebody wants to read your eulogy, would you be content? Would you be happy with what you're about to hear? Or would you beg for more time to prove yourself? More time to do something? More time to exhibit more love and respect? More time to take a more distinctions to make a more lasting impression upon your family and loved ones? All right. That is a um, one of the, the, the exercises that uh, most coaches will get their clients to do you know it's uh do a stock take and say at the end of the your days will people say this guy had spent so much time at work and gee he had a nice car um or say that he made a difference in somebody else's life or he, he lived a full and rich life so my question to you here is is that um why is it that people are so blinkered in their existence they just haven't been inspired enough they they, they're basically operating with, you know, with negative vibrations and they've, they've lost their pulse in regards to what life truly represents. I mean, I wasn't born rich. I wasn't born rich. But you know what? Like everybody else, like everybody else on the planet, we were all born rich in potential. And in your case, you, you, chose to, you exercised your option, basically. Absolutely, I did. Right. So and I had nothing to lose. Yeah, I had nothing to lose. I like that term, you have nothing to lose. And so I want to ask you the question about raising your vibrations. You talk about negative vibrations. So it's the people around you who, who at the most um, impressionable time of your life would have a lot of uh, impact on you. Now, you've deliberately gone out and chose to hang out with people who are, uh, I guess, successful, yeah? Uh, like even the Absolutely. foreword of your, your book, um, it's written by Bob Proctor, which is pretty amazing to get him to do that. Bob's actually a big fan of my book, and uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. So can you tell us how you actually got to know him? And, and in the first place, okay, he's, he talks to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. So how did you get in his face in, in that sense and get him to notice you and say that, yeah, we want to, in a sense, partner with you or do a JV, whatever. So how did you get there? Well, um, I, I, one of my companies is, a, is an events promoting company, events promotions. And um, I invited Bob as one of my speakers at one of my events that I was speaking at. And um, I had a number of speakers that I actually invited, and Bob was one of them. And Bob actually accepted the offer. He had heard about me in regards to, because um, I, I often talk to other individuals, other speakers in the world, how Bob Proctor was a, a, a great influence in my life. And, um, you know, he, he was um, quite taken back in regards to, you know, how much of an inspiration he was to me, I guess. And uh, we soon became very close friends. 
And, uh, you know, I asked Bob, I go, look, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing a book about my life, like an autobiography interspersed with, like, financial education, personal development, and I would love for you to write a forward to it. And Bob said, he go, Bob said to me, he would be absolutely honoured. And I got exposed to Bob Proctor's work back when I was 17. So it was, um, once again, too, it was, the, it was a great time in my life because, um, you know, Bob's thinking and just the whole process of, um, uh, you know, his work in regards to the mind, wisdom, and philosophy, it allowed me to, like, um, expedite the process somewhat. So how did you expedite your process via the, the uh, I guess, the information disseminated by Bob? Well, just really tapping into the, uh, the, the conscious and the, uh, the unconscious mind or what have you. Mind you, I already had a fairly good understanding of it, but um, with Bob's work, it allowed, me to, like, it allowed me to drill just a little deeper more. Okay, so let's say if somebody has got a, a hang-up about money, I mean, okay, you, you were brought up in a, in a home that was um, modest, yeah? And your parents had yep. only a um, limited amount of formal education, but they worked their guts out to, to give you guys a, a fantastic life. So how, how did that modeling at home sort of um, prevent you, or did it prevent you, from uh, becoming the person you are today in terms of generating wealth? And how did Bob Proctor's staff um, help you get over the hurdle? Well, it just gave me more um, diversification in regards to my thinking patterns, I guess. You know, it, 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 it allowed me to, like, you know, um, define me a lot more in regards to my purpose. And, um, you know, I was able to expand the bandwidth of my real purpose of life and then look upon, um, you know, how it's basically going to, um, you know, impact others' lives and what have you. So it really just, um, it defined the process a lot for me. All right, in your household, you're the youngest of four, four children, correct? That's correct. Okay, so how do your older siblings see you? And did they have, um, I mean, they probably have an opinion. Um, how, how did you deal with that? Was it positive? Were they uh, supportive? Or did they think, you know, this guy's a bit of a fruitcake? <laughs> well, you know, um, I think um, my mother, my mother best, my, my, my mother best um, sums it up, I guess. Um, like compared to how the other um, mother siblings were raised, I mean, I was the youngest of four kids, but my mother always sensed that I was always going to be different. It's kind of like um, Obi Wan Kenobi saying, you know, young Luke Skywalker, the force is strong in you, you know. But um, my mother always knew that I'd, um, I'd be, I was very different in my thinking. And, um, you know, I was the first person to leave, the, um, to move out of the family household, I was the first person to move overseas. I was the first person to travel. Um, I was the first person to do pretty much everything, I guess, you know. So um, I guess I knew that um, I was very different to my siblings. I mean, we, you know, we all share um, the common traits, but, um, I, you know, it goes back to my thinking. Um, you know, when I was a young child and when I was sick in my bedroom, I had nothing to lose. And for me, if I was going to lead a life, it had to be colourful. It had to be epic. You know, a kaleidoscope, you know a mosaic of different experiences and visions and journeys, what have you, oh, at all times. That, that's pretty cool because, okay, I'm just going to go back to, to now to the, the your space adventure because at, at the start of it, you're talking about your father who was a, a really dyed-in-the-wool socialist, wasn't he? As in he, he had little red book, yeah? Yeah, my dad was a communist. Yeah, yeah, and, yep. uh, and then here that's you my, are. The irony is oh. that you're, in every sense of the word, a uh, capitalist. In the sense yeah. <laughs> that you create, yeah, you create wealth and, and the like, uh, and uh, your 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 
one of the the points, I guess, turning points you said was when your father decided when the Berlin Wall came down, it was all over. And again, the irony is that you actually trained in in Russia for your cosmonaut uh, work, and you had a lot next to Yuri Gagarin. Tell me about it. And uh, like when I went down the Titanic, I was uh, with the Russians in a Russian submersible. So um, yeah, it's the um, it's amazing how life has transpired that way. I guess you know we've all these associations with um, uh, Russia and what have you. My father being a communist and um, and in lower the Soviet Union, I guess you know. But um, it's just an interesting turn of events. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, so just tell us a bit more because I'm I'm really interested in, in your time. Um leading up to be to becoming a fully-fledged, qualified cosmonaut. A, what did it require? I mean, this is a childhood dream of most, most little boys, okay? And the other the reality is that how much money did it cost? And the fact that you could reach your wallet and pay for the cost. <laughs> well, I enrolled in the other Russian orbital space program in uh, 2003, it was. And uh, to initiate your training, it's about $3 million dollars. Mind you, before that, there was medicals, there were exams, uh, a lot of theory, and just to basically prove you were of the right stuff. So, you know, money aside, if you didn't have the right stuff, then you would to be medically qualified or qualified um, with the other uh, psychological profilings or what have you to commence training. So, to commence the training, it was going to be $3 million. A cool, just lazy to get three to, mil. Okay. In, was that US dollars? That's correct, yes. Okay. And then what happened next? So, yeah, look, it it was a six-month qualification process, and I qualified, and then, uh, you notice, I began my training at the uh, the Russian Orbital Space Program at the uh, Yuri Gagarin Cosmonaut Training Center. So so here's here's a a great historical aspect of my training. Some of my uh, trainers were well in their late 70s and 80s and these are the same trainers that trained a very young Euro Gagarin and um, you know talk about historical significance I guess because as a four-year-old my father gave me a poster of Euro Gagarin and that poster graced my bedroom wall for uh, a large part of my childhood and here I am being tutored by the same trainers that tutored a very young Yuri Gagarin uh, before he's um, before he became the first human to represent humanity and um, rocket to space and view the mantle of Earth for the very very first time. And you're going to be doing that next year uh, at what time of the year? Uh, we don't have any defined dates, but um, I have a, a flight to the International Space Station uh, in a Soyuz rocket, so. There's a, a lot of exciting um, aspects coming out very soon, so looking forward to it and very, very, very excited. Oh, I, I look forward to, to seeing how it goes. And you're going to bring a couple of copies of your book, isn't it, The Thrillionaire, up, up in space? Well, the, book, the book's actually up at the International Space Station right now. Who is it with? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sorry? Can you tell us uh, more about that, that aspect that you, you sent the books up with a, a colleague? That's right. Uh, well, in October of 2008, I was actually the backup astronaut for the uh, TMA-13 space mission. 
And when I was in quarantine in uh, Kazakhstan, where the Russians basically blast off from in Baikonur, uh, one of the astronauts who was going up uh, was reading my book because we were both in quarantine because I was his backup. In other words, basically, if he didn't fly and he got sick, then I will take his place and I would have rocketed uh, in October. And he was reading my book and he hadn't quite finished it, so he took it to space to finish it. <laughs> oh, I'd say that that would be a first. Um, not many people sort of launch their books that way, literally. So congratulations yeah. for that. Thank you. And there's a, there's, a, there's a library of nine books of which my book is actually one of them, on International Space Station. So, and um, it's still up there. So um, obviously, you know, one of my um, uh, things that I would dearly love to do is um, in regards to the sequel to the book, The Thrillionaire, is to do my next book launch in space. Literally. Now, I, um, said, yeah, it would be great. So there's something I want to ask you here in the, in the sense of how um, money can be so useful. Now, like you say, some people have hang-ups about money, but in your case, you've shown that to have a lot of money is, A, it's not an embarrassment, you're not a crook, um, you've worked hard for it, but also in, in the context of the space uh, launch, you talked about how the governments reduced the space program to the point where it it, it basically gutted the whole program and yet because you guys are going up as privateers to, to use a better word and that's, that's commercialism yes. you are able to do experiments or, or carry out projects that they can't talk uh, can't do because of lack of funding so do you want to take us through that well you know I'm a civilian I'm not government funded so at all times you know um, I've had to pay my own way I guess you know but uh, money aside, you still have to be. You still had to be, um, you know, medically and, and psychologically um, of the right stuff, I guess. And you know, I had to learn and embrace the, the language of Russian. I had to learn the Cyrillic alphabet. I had theory. I had, um, you know, I did a lot of training in the other uh, simulators. So it was quite lengthy. And, um, here's the thing, right? You know, um, you know, it's us privateers, I guess. That are that are going to um, you know, expand the horizon of the exploration of space, because it's um, where where the government lacks in regards to the inspiration, um, us privateers, um, I guess, our, it's the entrepreneurs of the world that will basically create the new benchmark. It's true. Okay, that that's in the field of, of um, you know aviation science and that sort of aeronautical science. But also the other thing that seems to come across from what you're talking about is that. Um, without sounding dramatic, that you think the governments just can't, our governments just don't have the solutions to the, the current, uh, I guess, economic mess that's that's um, come about. And you feel that it's basically the entrepreneur, the business person who will and can help turn the economy around, not just in Australia, but around the world? Absolutely, definitely. It's, it's always going to be the private sector. I mean, look at... Um uh, like right now, I guess, you know, uh, it's the private sector in regards to space travel that's really paving the way, I guess, you know, which is really, really important because uh, traditionally it was always the government. And um, when a government starts to like, you know, run out in regards to like a lack of funds, it's always the public sector that starts to um, innovate, uh, more entrepreneurial, and then paves the way for an entirely new industry. And right now we're looking at that with... Um, uh, you know, commercial space travel. Okay, this is a curveball question. Let's say you, uh, I made you the Reserve Bank president in the States. What would you do to fix the economy? 
I'm sorry? If I made you the, uh, I guess, the president or the chairman of the Reserve Bank in, in, the, in the U.S., yes. what would you do to fix the American economy now? Uh, a flat tax rate of 58% across the board for everybody. And you think that would help? That would be the first thing. Uh, a flat tax rate, uh, personal development, and financial literacy. They're the top three things just there. Okay, so you're going to get people out of being taxpayers into a whole bunch of small business people. Yes, absolutely. And um, look, I would say, you know, you know, with, with, with education, you know, there's not enough dream building in young kids, you know. We don't inspire young kids enough. Like the young generation right now have, you know, very little aspirations in regards to what they really want to do in their lives or what have you. So I would inspire them, you know, dream building, you know, how to monetize your passion, how to develop, how to develop uh, a career of choice as opposed to a job of necessity. As in getting people off the treadmill. Absolutely, definitely. How to think for themselves, how to be entrepreneurial, you know, how to innovate, how to inspire, you know, how to be a beacon of light and illuminate others, you know. Okay, so if they wanted to sort of get a bit more of uh, Nick Halleck, where can they go to find you, uh, as in they're interested, you've, you've basically caught the attention and said, look, you know, there is an alternative. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, probably like, a, look, there's, there's, there's thousands of websites, you know, pertaining to uh, Nick Halleck. Um, I would say um, uh, simply go to uh, Nick in Space, N-I-K-I-N-S-P-A-C-E, Nick in Space, that's N-I-K-I-N-S-P-A-C-E dot com, and there's a contact us for me now, and you're more than welcome to um, uh, send me an email, or if you want to purchase the book, you can go to the thrillionairelaunch dot com, and there's about two and a half thousand dollars worth of free bonuses there too, so... Yeah, but what about if they wanted to get into a mentoring program with you? Do you do you do mentoring? Yes, I do. I do mentoring. Uh, you know, whether it's like personal development or financial uh, wisdom or what have you. And um, uh, best way to do is um, uh, is you can actually you can actually go to nickerspace.com, forward your details to my office, and we can send you like various information in regards to like different events that I'm holding around the world. And I do provide um, that personal mentoring too. So. Absolutely, definitely. Okay, and if in your personal mentoring, what are you, a hand holder or are you one of those really tough drill sergeant types? <laughs> um, well, you know, I give you homework and I'm very, very specific and um, I, I insist on results too, but, you know, I nurture you, I guide you, I inspire you. And, um, but so long as you're ready, then I will appear. But if you're not ready, then maybe it's not time for you right now. But if you really believe in yourself right now and you really want to define your purpose and be a lot more definitive in regards to what you want to accomplish in your life, then at the end of the day, you just do whatever it takes. You take massive, massive action and you cut every sign of retreat and you simply give yourself permission to succeed. Okay. It's a bit like the Romans who used to burn their galleons before they rode to shore and, and start their, <laughs> yeah, their fights, isn't it? So, okay. It sounds like Nick Halleck is actually a very busy man with a hectic schedule and uh, you, you're sort of bursting with energy so I want to talk about your maintaining your, 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 your fitness level what do you do to maintain your fitness physically and mentally and spiritually uh, lots of mountain climbing lots of mountain climbing 
Oh, sorry, I think we've um, kind of lost Nick. So, um, in the meantime, we're just talking to... I'll take that. Yeah. Hello. Okay, Nick, you're back. So, you said a lot of yeah, mount mountain climbing. Yeah, I love mountain climbing because it allows you, you know, uh, depending on the duration of the climb, but you've got plenty of time to reflect upon your life, you know, in regards to like recessing, redefining and streamlining your, your business, your life and what have you. But um, it's the new vantage point of a higher peak and the new observation perspective that um, really is a, is a great metaphor for life. So in a way you're looking outside but you're looking inside your own life as, as well for, from Absolutely. that. Yes. Yeah, great. So lastly, I, I thank you for, for being so, so terrific on the show, but lastly I want to touch on the, your, your time in the, in the Tomb of the Kings and that seemed to be a slightly, um, I won't say creepy, but um, metaphysical sort of uh, an encounter first of all I mean how, how, how in the world did you manage to talk your way to get in there by yourself well uh, I can't disclose how it all basically went down but um, <laughs> I became the very first person since um, Dr. Paul Brunton in 1935 and um, what I did was I, um, I spent the night alone and locked up in the uh, Great Pyramid of Giza the Cheops Pyramid and I slept in the uh, sarcophagus. And in that time, it, it wasn't just like, you know, I'm going for a nap. Something happened. Can you tell us? Uh, well, I had... I had... <laughs> um, there was something quite esoteric about the entire experience. But, um, yeah, I had some form of connection in there. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> We're all ears. Yeah, there's... There was a turn of events, and um, all, I, all I could say was, you know, um, they found me 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, I was sleeping in a sarcophagus in the king's chamber, and I was unable to talk. I had lost my voice for three days. And there was definitely some form of intervention. Absolutely, definitely. Right. Um, I, 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 it's... It still defies logic when I talk to people about it. Um, it's one of those unique experiences about life, I guess, you know. But um, I, I'm, I'm working on um, um, gaining entry for another night because, um, you know, it's just you know, there is something incredibly spiritual about it all. But, um, you know, if you really want to find out, um, you know, I, I, I talk about it in great detail in my book and what have you, but um, a very surreal um, experience. Absolutely. Indeed. Okay. So I, I, I think that's that's a great place to stop because you've left people um, wanting a bit more because they're now very curious as to what really happened in, in the tomb. I mean, I know. <laughs> and yes, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's completely plausible because we don't just function on a physical plane. You know, and uh, if you think that's all there Absolutely. is. Yeah. With all there is, that then uh, life's actually quite poor for you. So, as as a final um, piece of advice to people around who are, in a sense, like you say, starting to 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 wonder and be and feel dissatisfied with your with their current situation, and want to go for it, but are slightly scared about going for it. 
What would you say to them? You know, I will say this. The best thing that can happen to you right now is to become unemployed because the universe will release you and give you the liberty of time to discover your real destiny. And, you know, in, in life, uh, you know, a person is lucky enough to think twice a year and it's usually in a time of an emergency or something. If something wants to happen to you right now in regards to your current circumstances, you will start to think. And when you think, you start to challenge everything you know. And um, by challenging your faculty of your thinking, it's going to give you the luxury of time and aspiration and ambition to really create your life and just redraft it. And if you don't have, if you've never ever drafted a screenplay of your life, I strongly suggest right now, you take half an hour away, you know, you know, remove yourself from the world and just write the screenplay of your life. And I want you to be the actor, the producer, and the director of your life. You live in life in your own terms, but draft your agenda. Because if you ain't going to do this, chances are somebody else has a screenplay that you're working towards the fulfillment of their personal goals. So basically you're saying don't be the cog in the wheel, be the big wheel. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. You be the, you dictate the direction of your life and what have you. You be the steering wheel. You be the rudder. Okay. You know, at all times. You know, life is beautiful. You know, life is bold. I mean, you know, you know, it's the mosaic, the, this, the myriad of colors that you want to introduce back into your life. And if you don't do it, then you're wasting your life. And life is meant to be explored. Your journey is your vision, your exploration, or what have you. And, you know, then once you really understand this process and you raise your level of awareness, then simply go out there and inspire others and enroll them in regards to your dreams. And that's what a life is all about. So you firmly believe that if we actually found our passion and we monetized it, we could become wealthy in every sense of the word? Absolutely. If you discover your destiny, if you discover your why, wealth is simply a default program. I like that. Wealth is just simply a default program. Those are really wise words and are something I will take away definitely. So, folks, today, if you haven't worked out, um, the person I'm talking to is Nick Halleck, and he, he's got his act together, obviously, and he's going off to space next year. Not many people can say that. Um, and he's, he's going to be walking on the moon. So... Uh, watch this space because Nick Halleck will do it. Sounds like he's done eight of the ten things he wanted to do when he was an eight-year-old and uh, coming on to what, 32 years on, you've done eight of them. That's 80% success rate. That's fantastic. And so um, on behalf of everybody on your money and your mindset and all my viewers and listeners, we'd like to thank you, Mr. Nick Halleck, for spending the time um, imparting and your thank wisdom. Thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed um you're putting some, uh, some valuable distinctions there. And uh, once again, thank you very much. Okay, cheers. God bless. Today's podcast is brought to you by <coughs> CityHotline.com.